at the book of Revelation, um, which is right at the back of the Bible, um, if you have Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, um, the words will appear on the screen behind me. Uh, so you'll just have to follow them on that. Uh, but if you've got a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1. I'm not intending to do a whole series on Revelation, by the way. Some people are worrying, wondering about that. <laughs> Look at going, ah, you, you try. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. We're going to... Um, we're going to... Focus just on two verses, verse 5 and 6. Um, we'll start halfway through verse 5, uh, which says, so three lines from the bottom, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Those are the verses that we're going to uh, look at this morning. And I uh, believe that God's going to speak to us through those. Uh, God, John here, who wrote this book of Revelation, is praising God uh, here for three things. This, this few lines are a, a kind of exhortation of, of, uh, of, or explosion of praise to God. And he's praising God for three things. He's praising God because he loves us. He's praising God because he's freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's praising him because he's made us to be a kingdom and priests uh, to serve his God and Father. So those are the three things that we're going to look at today. Um, and uh, I believe that actually all of these things are uh, things that many of us find difficult to accept and believe. It may be that it's not all three things that we find difficult to believe or difficult to accept in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but I believe that probably all of us struggle in one way or another with one of these three things. Either we struggle that God loves us, or we struggle that God has uh, freed us from our sins, or even that we are sinners, or we struggle to believe that we have, uh, God has made us to be a kingdom and priests. So that's pretty much where we're going this morning. We're going to look at each of these three truths and uh, look and, and, and ask God to help us to believe these things, not just to believe in our heads, but to live them out in our day-to-day -day lives. Firstly, God loves us. God loves us. Um, this is the only certainty, really, amid a whole world of uncertainties. There's so many things in the world that people will say, oh, this is right, this is right, uh, put your hope in this, put your hope in this. The fact that God loves us is an eternal certainty. It's a truth. It's a simple truth. But like I've said, it's a truth that many people do not believe. Many of us find it easy to believe it for other people. So we can sit here in a meeting and we can hear people say, oh, God loves us. And it, it, it can almost become something that is easily said. You know, if, if someone came and brought a, a, a word from the front, a prophetic word or something, a word that they felt God saying to the church, and said, I feel God saying to us this morning, he loves you. We, we might sit there and go, okay, that's cool. But, but we, we, we possibly aren't going to give it a whole load of weight. We're possibly not going to just think, wow, that's amazing revelation. What we might do, some of us, is sit and think, oh, I can't imagine why. I don't quite see how God's going to love me. Because we sit there knowing what we are like. 
We sit there knowing the things that we battle with, the things that we struggle with. We look at other people, think, hey, God, God must love them. I can see how God loves that person there, because look at them. They're praising God. They've got their hands in the air. But me, I've got my mind on other things. I've got my mind on all the worries of the world. I'm trying to praise God. I'm trying to sing, sing songs to God. I'm trying to pray, but I get distracted. I'm thinking about all sorts of other things. My problem's at home. I'm not trusting God. Oh, how can God love me? God doesn't love me. All of these thoughts going through our mind. But the simple truth is, God loves us. Not just other people, not just others in the church, but God loves every one of us. Let's not misunderstand the reason why God loves us. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. You know, some churches, some people will say that. Some, some, some people will say, oh, well, you know, you are so amazing. You're such a wonderful person. God loves you because you're, you're so amazing. Well, God does love us. But not because of anything inherent in and of ourselves. Now, obviously, God created us. He made us in his own image. There were things about us which he loved about us, which he liked about us. We were created for purpose. We were created to be made in the image of God. But he doesn't look at us and say, I love you because he sees all the good in you. He doesn't look at us and say, you praise me really well. You, you, you're really committed to me. You're really dedicated you just love your family so much. Therefore, I'm going to love you because you've earned that love. God doesn't love us because of anything that we have done ourselves. He loves, his love doesn't speak about how great we are. It speaks about how great he is. God's love for us only tells us how great and amazing God is. Because the truth is that we are sinners. We're going to come on to that later on. We, many of us know that. Many of us are well aware of that. We're sinners. We mess up. We want to do things. We can't do it. We, we, we think, oh, I've done that again. The same old thing. Oh, how can God love me? God doesn't love us because we've messed up. Be oh, because we haven't messed up. God loves us because he is amazing. God loves us because he chooses to love us. He, his love speaks about how amazing he is, how great he is. He made us for his delight. And he took decisive action to show that love for us. It, it wasn't just a, a feeling. God doesn't just go, oh, I've got lovely warm feelings about you. He's, that's not what love is. That's not what God's love's about. God's love was shown decisively. God's love was shown decisively in history. John 3.16 tells us about God's love in action. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He loved the world so much, he gave his one and only Son. He gave him to die on a cross. That is God's love in action. That is a decisive act. Decisive, sacrificial. A supreme act of God. We often talk about acts of God, don't we? Uh, especially when it comes to insurance and things like that. Insurance companies have clauses in their insurance which talk about acts of God. And say, well, we're not going to pay out the insurance if there's an act of God. Okay, if there's something that we weren't expecting, that's what it means, isn't it? Something that we couldn't have predicted. Because, of course, insurance companies don't want to pay out uh, insurance. And so they, they do all the calculations, they work out 
how likely something is to happen. And then they think, but then there's acts of God. Then there's things that we can't predict. We don't know about. There could be an earthquake. There could be a flood. There could be a, 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 a lightning strike. Um, there could be a hurricane. Who knows? Well, we can't pay out for those things because that would bankrupt us. So we're going to say they're acts of God. Unexpected things. Things that we couldn't predict. Well, the act of God in John 3.16, that he gave his one and only son, is again something that you couldn't predict. You couldn't predict it. Unless you knew, unless you were looking at the, uh, at the prophecies that were there and you, and you worked it out and God revealed it to you, just normally, just looking humanly at who we are, you couldn't have said God was going to do that. It was an amazing, unpredictable act of God. That God would step down, holy God would step down to a sinful world and say, I am going to intervene in this. I'm going to once and for all show my love for humanity. Show how much I love them. I'm not going to write them off. I'm not going to say, oh, it's all gone pear-shaped. It's all gone wrong. Let's start again. Let's screw it all up. Throw it in the bin. Make a fresh one. Make a fresh world. That'll be it. No. He intervenes decisively, unexpectedly, to show his love. No other religion has a God that would do this. Many people say, oh, of course all religions, they're the same, aren't they? No. There's no other religion that has a God who loves them. No other religion, I don't think, says that they have a God who is love. We can say uh, quite clearly, God is love. But you wouldn't find that with other religions. They wouldn't make that bold statement that their God is love. They would encourage their followers maybe to try their hardest to, to achieve something for themselves, to bring maybe a, a, a small amount of pleasure to their God. Come on, work harder. Pray a certain number of times a day. Go and fast and do this or do that or, 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 discover, or achieve enlightenment or whatever it might be that they would try and encourage us to try and, and, and please the deity or some sort of God. But it's all about effort. It's all about trying to do it yourself. But that's not what we believe. Our God is love. Our God didn't say, come on, pull your socks up. Come on, try harder. Come on, put your back into it. What are you playing at? What's all that about? Get yourself sorted out. Our God took decisive action. The God of heaven and earth took decisive action and stepped down to lift us up, to lift us up with him. We couldn't do it ourselves. You can't pull yourself up. It's like one of those, you know, people say you can't pull yourself up by your bootlaces, can you? You know, if you tried, uh, I don't know, if you tried, if you tried getting your laces and pull it, how are you going to pull yourself up? You can't. Put all the effort you want. Someone else has to lift you. God has to lift us up. We can never do it ourselves. It's such amazing love. And that love isn't something in the past. It happened at a point in history. It was demonstrated at a point in history that goes on. And we look back to that and we always go back to the cross and say, that was the time when God showed his amazing love for us. As Jesus, his only son, died on the cross. Perfect sacrifice. Never sinned. Yet he gave his life for us. That we might have our punishment go on him. What amazing love. But it's not just a past thing. It's not just God did love us. He did that, but actually now he's a bit frustrated with us. 
because he's done that and we're still not much better. Come on, what's going on? I've done that. What's going on? No, God's love is demonstrated for all time. The same love that Jesus showed on the cross for us is the love that God has for us today and tomorrow and the day after and next week and next month and next year. God's love will go on for eternity and it's the same love. The same love that Jesus showed as he healed people, he had compassion on people, is the compassion and love that God has for us today. It doesn't change. It's important that we know that. It's important that we know that God loves us. Not just the person sitting next to us, but us. Stop thinking it's about how you are. God's not judging us on that. If God was judging us on that, we wouldn't be here. He wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have sent his son because none of us were good enough. None of us. We're still not. Yet it's about how great he is. The truth is, however unlovable you feel you are, however lonely you are, however rejected you feel you are today sitting here, the truth is God loves you. God loves you. Not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but a decisive act for you. He died for you. Secondly, we see that God has freed us from our sins by his blood. We've, we've touched on this already, really, haven't we? This is God's and Jesus' supreme act of love. Jesus wasn't unwilling. He wasn't a victim in all this. He wasn't the one who, who was sent down to earth by God the Father. And he's thinking, you oh, know, what's all this about? And then God's saying, well, I'm sacrificing you. You're going on, you, you've got to go on the cross. You've got to die on the cross. You've got, to, you've got to bear the punishment for the whole world. What? What's all that? I don't want to do that. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He wasn't an unwilling victim. He willingly went to the cross. He knew what it was going to be. Not the pain of the nails, but the, but the agony of separation from God, the Father, who he'd been with forever. Torment of having God's anger and wrath poured out on him. He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming in the garden. He said, God, if there's any other way, take this cup away from me. But he wrestled and he said, but it's not. It's not my will. It's your will, Father. That's what I want. I'm going to do your will. I'm, he willingly went to the cross. He made that decision for us. Don't let anyone tell you that, Jesus is sacri- that to believe in Jesus' death on the cross, to believe in a father who sent his son to die on the cross to be punished for, for us, don't let anyone tell you that that's some sort of cosmic child abuse because he was a willing sacrifice. He willingly went. It was all part of the plan. He was one with God from the beginning. It was all part of the plan. It was all to show how much God loved us. He made the choice. And he was punished for us so that we could be totally free. We've heard about it this morning. Deborah has been talking about it. It's not just our sin was covered up. It's not just like God was saying, right, we're going to pull a curtain over that one. All that's gone before, it's a bit ugly. Let's cover it up. Let's get rid of it. We don't want to look at that anymore. No, it was gone. It was gone. It was dealt with. You can't just cover it up. It has to be dealt with. It has to be punished. That's why there had to be a punishment for Jesus. That's why Jesus had to die. God just couldn't just go, oh, forget it then. You know, I'm a holy God. I've got standards, but you've messed up. 
let's start again. Let's wipe the slate clean. No, he couldn't. Sin has to be punished. Sin is serious. It separates us from God. It angers God. He hates it. He couldn't just forget about it. But he didn't just cover it up. He wiped it clean. He totally forgave us. We are spotless before God. If we know God, if we know God's forgiveness in our life, we stand spotless before him, pure, clean. It's not just covered up. It's not just lurking there in the background. It's gone. It's gone. We need to accept that. Some of us, actually, don't, we, we might not battle with this. We might not need telling that we're sinners. We're well aware that we're sinners. We might not actually even uh, need uh, be people who, who need to know that the sinner's gone. We, we may have come into the glorious realization of that. We might think, yeah, we are free. We've come into that. Amazing. But there may be some here, and there are certainly some in society, who don't accept that they're sinners. There's some who need to know, actually, we are sinners. It's not a pleasant message for people. It's not something they like to hear. On our Alpha course, we don't beat about the bush. We say to people, and we'll say it in a few weeks' time, you know, God's word shows us that we are sinners, that we are in need of rescuing. We need God. Because many people just say, I don't need God. I'm all right. What's the problem? I'm not such a bad person. I'm not like so-and-so. I don't kill, I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen from anyone. I'm not so bad. I don't need you to tell me that I'm a sinner. Go away with that message. I want to hear about God's love for me. I want to hear about the good things that God's got for me, but I don't want to know. I don't want someone else telling me that I'm a sinner. I don't want someone else judging me in my life. Well, we're not the judges. God is the judge. God sets the standards. And we need to accept that we are sinners. Computers keep records of, of all of the things that go on on the computer. If you go on a computer, you've got records. Uh, the computer keeps records of all the pages you've visited and everything like that, and etc. I mean, half the time you can't find it yourself. You know, it'll keep a record of the work you've done. You just won't be able to find it. Um, but it'll be there somewhere. Um, and, we, and we've now got these like um, flash sticks, haven't we? can keep an amazing amount of information on flash sticks. Tiny little thing. That's two gigabytes on this one. And this isn't one of the bigger ones. Two gigabytes of memory. How much information could be stored in a flash stick? I wonder if there were flash sticks for each of us that stored all of the things that we have done. All of our actions. All of our thoughts. All of our motivations and wrong motives, everything, all there on a flash stick. So you just get, plug it in, let's see what there is. How many of us would want God to show us or show others the flash stick of our life? I believe none of us, none of us would want that revealing because we're all sinners. There's all things, there's, we've all got things that we are ashamed of, that we know are wrong. We might cover it up ourselves, 
The Bible tells us clearly we're sinners. The Bible tells us we've sinned. Actually, it's in our genes. We can't do anything about it in one sense. We're born sinners. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. But it works itself out. And so every single person has got something. However much we say, we're fine. We're a good person. Yeah? You're a good person. You want that showing? You want that showing? You want people to see what's really going on? No. You don't. You want to get rid of it. You want to wipe it. You want to wipe it. Get rid of it. I don't want it on the computer anymore. I don't want it there. I want it wiped. That's what God promises for us. He'll wipe it. He'll wipe it clean. The acts happened. Jesus has died on the cross. He just wants you to come to him and have it wiped clean. And have it wiped clean. But you've got to know there's a problem. You've got to know it's there. As I say, it's in our genes. It's almost like we've been born with a defective gene. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're born into sin. We're born into Adam. Adam sinned. We're all born as descendants of him. We've all got the gene. It's what's going to happen. The only one who never had it is Jesus. Because Jesus was God. He wasn't born with this. He didn't have to sin. He wasn't born a sinner. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the only one who could be a sacrifice for us. And he did die to take the punishment for us. We need to see that we are sick. We need to accept this diagnosis of ourselves. Because if we never accept God's diagnosis of us, we'll never know the need to come to him for forgiveness and have it wiped clean. You know, if, we, if, if, we, if we're poorly, if we have a cancer inside us, but we don't know, we won't go to the doctors. Doctors now send out letters to make us go for checkups, certainly with certain sort of of cancers and things like that. Come for a checkup because we want to we catch it in time because you might not know. You might not know it's there inside you and it's eating away at you and it's killing you. And if you don't know that you're sick, you won't go to the doctors. And if you go to the doctors and you don't believe what he says, if he says to you, you are sick, you need to take this medicine or you will die. And you don't believe him, I'm not sick. What's the problem? I'm not. You won't take the medicine. And you'll die. We need to accept God's diagnosis. We are sinners. But he has a solution. He has a remedy. Turn to Jesus. Have your sins forgiven. Have it wiped clean. Simple. The work's been done. We just need to come to him and say, God, we are sick. We are sick. We are sinners. We need your help. Oh, God. And then we just need to accept it and take it. And be free. And be clean. Finally, we need to see that God has set us free for two reasons. Because many of us stop there, don't we? Many of us think that's what it's about. We are sinners. We've accepted that. We've come into a point of realizing that. We've accepted Jesus died for us. We've accepted his forgiveness. We're clean. Fantastic. Great. Thanks a lot. I'll go home now. End of story. That's not the end of the story. 
That's not what it's all about. There's more. It says here, God loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, and, and, has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to to him be glory and, and power forever and ever. He's made us a kingdom and priests. And so often, even as forgiven sinners, we see ourselves not as, as kings or royalty or priests. We see ourselves as paupers. We see ourselves as paupers. That's what we were. But we're not that now. We are kings. Revelation chapter 5, a bit later on, tells us we are going to be reigning with Jesus on earth. It talks about uh, this vision that, that John sees. And he sees uh, elders before uh, the, the, the lamb who's on the throne. And these elders are singing a new song. And they're, saying, they're singing this, uh, verse 9 in chapter 5. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've purchased them and done what? You have made them to be a kingdom and priests, the same thing, to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Wow. That's what, that's what our job is. That's what our job is going to, that's what we'll come into. We will reign with Jesus on the earth. That's what he's bought us for. That's what he saved us for. We will be reigning with Jesus on the earth. We need to acknowledge that. We need to believe that in ourselves. We are no longer paupers. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 22. Proverbs 30 and verse 22. um, We read from verse 21. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. First one is a servant who becomes a king. The earth trembles under this news. This is serious news. A servant who becomes a king. Well, that's what we were. We were servants. We were paupers. We were slaves. We were in bondage. And we've been freed from that bondage to do what? Just to walk around as freed slaves, as freed paupers? No. To become kings. To become kings. A kingdom of priests. To reign with Jesus on the earth. We can't accept it. Many of us can't accept this. Many of us haven't accepted it. I believe we will accept it. I believe God wants us to accept it. It's in his word. That's what he wants us to believe, to accept. But if we don't accept it, it affects how we are. In just the same way that not accepting that you're a sinner and that you need help and that you need God's help, he's the only one who can bring it and you'll slowly die, that affects you. But not, not realizing who you now are in God will affect you. It'll affect how you live your life. It'll affect whether you, whether you get into sin again. It'll affect how you behave around other people. If we don't believe it, it affects how we are. We've adopted two children and we've found out over the last few years quite a lot about adopted children. And there's a very common thing that goes on with adopted children. Adopted children. Children who have been abused and have never really experienced love in their lives before. And then they're adopted. And their new families love them. And they show them love. And they tell them, we love you. But you know what? 
So many of these children cannot believe it. They don't believe it. They might say, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you love us. Yeah. I love you too. But they don't believe it. They don't live it because they've experienced something else. So they're living something else. They've got all these insecurities and things going on inside them because they don't know they're loved. It's no good just saying, I love you. It takes years and years and years and years of demonstration because there's these barriers which have been built up. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And I believe we're like that, brothers and sisters, so often. God tells us how much he loves us. He tells us, you now have been made to be kings, kingdom of priests, royalty. Do we believe it? I'm not sure I believe that. So we live out as though we don't believe it. Our actions show we don't believe it. And we, and we get, or we just mess about with, with sin because it's, you know, it's still quite attractive, isn't it? We're being forgiven. Oh, we're going to feel bad about that, but we'll go back to God and we'll be forgiven again, and oh, we'll get into it again. But, but we're royalty. We don't want to mess about with that. You know what it's like when we see royalty in the news, and we and we and we see these stories about royalty of how royalty is someone who's in the royal family has got involved in this, that, or the other, and you know, and and, and you just think, oh, they're the royal family. It's awful. How can they do that? They're royalty. They should be. They should be different. They should be living up to a different standard. They should be setting the standard. Well, you know, they're humans. We're not royalty in the sense of of, of being part of the house of Windsor. We're royalty in that we're part of God's family. But God's saying, I don't want you to get involved in this stuff. There's far more for you than that. Conduct yourself as royalty. Be, conduct yourself, live as royalty. Now, some, some churches have taken that to the opposite extreme. And they'll say, we're, we're royalty, we're kings. Therefore, the wealth is ours. We, we can have all the wealth. We can have the best health care. We can, from God, he will heal every need. And he will give us all the wealth that we want. And that's what we're supposed to live like, because we're kings. Now, that's not what, that's not what the Bible's saying. That's a distortion of his word. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. We are royalty in God's eyes. We are royalty in God's eyes. You know, Jesus is described as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I used to think that the King of Kings, he was talking about Jesus is the King of all the other kings who are kings in the earth. So if there's a King of England... Jesus is the king of that king. He trumps him. It's better. I play my king. I trump that king. I'm the king of kings. The king of trumps. So too much. Maybe I should stick to my notes. <laughs> he's not saying he's the king of people who are kings. He's saying we are kings and he's the king of kings. He's, he's the king of us. He's our king. We've been singing about it this morning, haven't we? Almost all the songs we've been singing about God reigning, God being the king. He's the king of kings. But we're kings. We're royalty. We've been made into a kingdom. We're in his family. He's adopted us into his family. That 
That's what the word says. We've been adopted into his family. If he's the king, what does that make us? We're royalty. We're royalty. Let's live as royalty. Let's see ourselves as royalty. Do you see yourself as royalty? Do you behave like you're royalty? What, what does that mean then? If it doesn't mean saying, give me the money. <laughs> give me the private jets. No, it means seeing and believing that God has far better for you than you ever dared to believe before. You see, many of us believe that, you know, God has come and, and shown us this love and he's, he's rescued us and he's freed us from our sin and that's so amazing and how could we expect any more? Well, that's true. How could we expect any more? So we settle for it. We settle for it being like, well, it's, it, the past has gone. Just carry on, do your best. Come on. But God's saying, no, there's more than that. It doesn't end at that. You're part of my family. There's far more for that. You're in the royal courts now. You've got access to the king. You can come into my presence. Accept, realize that I'm the king. I'm still the king. So come humbly. But you've got access into the courts of the king. And all that that means. It can give us confidence to believe that we have significance in life. How many Christians still think, I'm insignificant? I'm insignificant. How can royalty be insignificant? How can we be insignificant? Paupers are insignificant. Slaves are insignificant. That's what we were. We've been taken from that. We are no longer insignificant in this world. We are royalty. We are not insignificant. We can have influence over other people. When you meet people who know that they are important, maybe because of a job that they've got, when you meet people who know that they are important in that role, they carry themselves well. They have an influence over people. People will recognize that authority, that importance. And they will have influence. But God has given us that. And we will have influence if we carry ourselves knowing that that is who we are. We're not lording it over people. We're not, we're not making out that we're better than people. But we will have influence. We're a kingdom of priests. If we just think we're ordinary Joe Blogs, when we meet someone, we'll think, oh, how can I tell them about God? How can I show them anything? They're far more important. They've got a job in, 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 the, in, in, in high-powered job in banking or, or business or whatever. They've got their own company or, or they're my boss or whoever, whatever it is. Oh, I can't, I can't speak to them because they're more important than me. No, you are royalty. You're not going to beat them over the head about it. You're not going to go, do you know who I am? Come on. But you inside know who you are in God and you can have an influence. And we can know that we're significant instead of carrying on with the assumption that we're insignificant. We're to be a kingdom of priests. The Latin word for priest means bridge builder. We're called to make the love of God known to the whole world. To see God's kingdom and his freedom that he gives us extended to others and not just ourselves. So we're to go into the world and where we are and we're to be those people. We're to be those bridge builders. We see an example in, in Exodus of, of Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. Moses was raised as a prince. He was taught he was significant because he was a prince. 
Prince of Egypt is the film that was made about him, isn't it? He was different to other Israelites who were slaves. Now, in one sense, he was no different. He was an Israelite. He was an Israelite just the same as all the other Israelites. But in how he thought of himself, just because, just humanly, because of how he'd been brought up, he saw a significance in himself. And so he didn't have the mentality of a slave. All the other Israelites were slaves. And they had a slave mentality. So when there was injustice being given out, they were like, well, yeah, that's going to happen because we're slaves. And so we're not going to complain and we're not going to rise up about it. We're going to be beaten down because we're slaves. We're just going to get on with the job. We're slaves. We can have a slave mentality. Moses didn't have a slave mentality. Moses saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And he thought, that's not right. That's not right. And so he did something about it. He, wanted, he saw a significance that the Israelites had, which others didn't see. And so he did something about it. He went and confronted the Egyptian. Ah, he didn't handle it maybe in the best of ways. He killed him. But he did something about it. The Israelites just accepted it. They couldn't rise above it. But he knew something of what the people were meant to be. He was free. And he knew that the others should be free too. And he was the one God used in the end to free the Israelites from slavery. Someone who knew he was free. If we don't know that we're free, if we don't know that we're significant in this world because of who God's given it, made us, because of what we're going to be in the future world, if we don't know that and live that, how are we going to bring other people to freedom? Because we'll, if we've got the same mentality as them, we're not going to get anywhere. We need to have a mentality that we are free. We are kings. We are royalty. And so we can see other people come into this and we can rescue them from that. And we can lead the people out into that freedom. Now, sometimes we worry, oh, people will say, well, who do they think they are? They think they're better than us because it will come out. Well, yeah, that may be true. People aren't always going to recognize it in us. People with a slave mentality aren't always going to see who we are. They're not going to recognize the truth. That was true for Moses, wasn't it? Moses then deals with a dispute with two, two Israelites in Exodus 2 and um, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, watched them hard at labor. He saw an Egyptian beating... Oh, we've seen this bit. The Egyptian beating the Hebrew. Blah, blah, blah. 13. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 13. <laughs> Stop it. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? He's thinking of killing me the same as you killed the Egyptian. And Moses realizes he's been spotted. But, you know, the, the response was, who made you ruler and judge over us? You know, who are you? What's made you so special? To tell us this. Yeah, there will be that response from some people. That doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change what God has given us to be, who God has given us, made us to be, and what God has made us to, given us to do. To be people who bring people to freedom, to be priests, to be a kingdom of priests. They might misread our intention, but we're called to that. And Moses did lead people out into freedom, didn't he? Read on to the end of the story. He did it. He wasn't sure. He was, and you know, he was saying, oh, I'm, I can't speak right. Send someone else to Pharaoh. All of those things. But he did it. 
Because he had the mentality of being a prince. He had royal mentality. So it doesn't mean lord it over people. Jesus was in very nature God. And Philippians 2 and verse 6 explain, uh, onwards, explains how Jesus handled that when he came to earth, came to rescue the people who he had come to save. He didn't lord it over them. He didn't come and say, hey, I am God, come to earth. It says, in being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. What that means is he didn't consider it uh, something to be taken advantage of. I'm God, so therefore I'm going to take advantage over you in this way. I'm going to make the most of that situation. No, he didn't use that privilege that he got to get one up over people. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And verse 5, before we, we, we came to that, says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So knowing who we are doesn't mean being superior. It actually means being like Jesus, having the same attitude as Jesus, taking the nature of a servant, being made in hope. So serving people, humbling ourselves. That's what Jesus the king did. He washed people's feet. Didn't mean he wasn't the king. Didn't mean he wasn't God. We can humble ourselves while still knowing who we are. We can humble ourselves without thinking, I'm rubbish. I'm worthless. God's never going to use me. No, God's going to use you. You're not rubbish. You're not worthless. You're royalty. You're royalty. Choosing to humble yourself, to serve others, to bring others into the kingdom, to share the good news, to bring others into the freedom that we have. We'll come into the fullness of our inheritance when Jesus comes back, and we've seen that in, in Revelation 5, when we will raise on, rule on the earth. Paul had strong words to speak to the Corinthians, who were, were quite full of themselves, pretty full of themselves. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings, and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings, um, so that we might be kings with you. So, uh, you know, they're despising the suffering that Paul's going through. They're despising uh, who he is and, and what he's done, or beginning to, and, and saying, we're better than that. And Paul's saying, well, look, you, already you've become kings. You're acting as though you, you're already ruling on the earth. And, G, and what God wants is for us to have the same attitude as Jesus. We will rule on the earth. We will reign on the earth. That's a promise. That's who we'll come into. But ultimately, we're still in subjection to the king of kings and Lord of Lords, always. Let's take hold of what God's got for us. Let's not downplay our role. Because otherwise, again, we'll slip into sin. And Romans 6 explains how the old life has died and we've come into the new life. When we're baptized into, when we're baptized into God, we go down. Someone's described it as, as entering the baptismal tank with a cross and coming back, exiting it with a crown. That's what we do. We go down with a cross, we die to the old way of life, and we come out with a crown. We're royals. The last thing that Christians should be suffering from is a negative self-image. Because our self-image doesn't come from who we are ourselves. It comes from who God has made us. God has made us significant. God has made us royal. God has made us a kingdom 
of priests. We're saved by grace. We're heirs to the kingdom. We belong to royalty. A guy called Chris Vallotton says this, when God's royalty touches our lives, we discover that we are designed to live in God's glory. We no longer live in the bondages of our past, performance and comparison in our daily lives. How many of us live our lives in performance and comparison? Dominates many of our lives. It's not what we're to live in. That's bondage. It's bondage of the past. He goes on. But we know the worth in simply loving him. For out of that springs living water and revelation for those who have not found the truth in all the nations of the earth. It affects how we live and it affects others. The church, we are the church. The church is meant to live out her calling as a kingdom of priests. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. Someone prayed on Friday night about Spurgeon. Was it Neil? Mentioned Spurgeon. And I already knew I wanted to quote this. I was thinking, yes, Spurgeon. Amazing man of God. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. And when people were saying to him, how can you preach to politicians and kings and royalty? Who are you to talk to them about how they should be and about the truth? And Spurgeon said this. Oh, that the church would put her diadem on her head and take her right position. We are not slaves. The church of God is not a groveling corporation bound forever to sit on a dunghill. Never queen was so fair as she, and never so robe as, wi- as rich as the purple which she wears. Arise, O church, arise, the earth is thine. Claim it. Send out thy missionary, not as a petitioner to creep at the feet of princes, but as an ambassador for God to make peace between God and man. Send him out to claim the possession which belongs to thee and which God has given to thee to be thine forever and ever by a right which kings may dispute but which one day every one of them shall acknowledge. Wow. That's who we are, church. That's who God has made us. We are the bride of Christ, the bride of the king. Put the crown on our heads and let's not be fearful of men. Let's not be frightened of what they will think. Let's not think we don't have the right. We have every right. Every right. Because God wants us to bring those into his kingdom. Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gave that authority to us and he commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all things. And as I've said before, he didn't command us to to just make disciples of people in all nations. Well, here's someone in that nation and here's someone in that nation and here's someone in that nation. I'll work on those because I feel I can relate to them. No, he called us to make disciples of all nations. The nations. Church, is who we are discipling. And all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And he says, and I am with you to the ends of the earth. God wouldn't have given us that task to disciple all nations without giving us the authority to achieve it. Let's rise up 
as a kingdom and priests to acknowledge who we truly are in God and to see many freed from their sins by his blood. I am by just quoting what, Paul, what John says. Praise be. Praise be to our God who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.